One of the most offensive things about Christians is that they seem certain of having eternal life. They're sure they'll be saved. How can you be so sure, people ask? Isn't that a bit arrogant? Do you think you're better than other people? Do you think that Christianity is better than other religions? Surely anyone who does enough good will be accepted by God. But how much is good enough? In today's passage, we see a man coming to Jesus and asking him what it takes to have eternal life. And what Jesus says is shocking. It is impossible, Jesus says, to do enough good to have eternal life. And as we'll see, it's because it's impossible that gives followers of Jesus certainty that they will inherit eternal life. Sound confusing? Well, let's pray as we ask God to open our eyes to his truth. Heavenly Father, so often we think we know what it is to be good or to do good. We think we are pretty good people. Lord, lay our hearts bare today before you so that we might see our deep need for salvation and the beauty of Jesus who gives it to us so we can have the certainty of inheriting eternal life. In Jesus' name, Amen. So firstly, religion is all about what I do. Religion is all about what I do. In this story, a man comes up to Jesus and says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus immediately challenges his assumptions. He says, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. See, this is a devout man. A man who wants to be good. A man who wants to earn his way into God's good books. And he sees Jesus as a teacher. As someone who can teach him how he can do good. But Jesus challenges this assumption. There is only one who is good, he says. Referring to God alone. So everyone else must not be good. But Jesus wants him to realize this himself. So he points to God's standard of goodness in the Ten Commandments. He says, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. But the man wants to be sure he's doing the right thing. So he asks him, well, which ones? And we're similar, aren't we? We think we're pretty good people. We don't murder anyone or set out to break the law or hurt other people. And there's lots of commands in the Old Testament. Which ones are the most important to keep? At this point, Jesus does something unexpected. He quotes some specific commands, but not exactly the Ten Commandments. Pick up the story from Matthew 19, verse 18b. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, and love your neighbour as yourself. These are the fifth to ninth commandments, and also the one to love your neighbour as yourself, which is not part of the Ten Commandments. It's a summary of how God wants us to treat others, found in Leviticus. Now, why does he do this? Why does he leave some out and put in the extra one? Well, I think it's because this man thought being good 
was all about how you treat other people. And in fact, most of the religions of the world teach that being good is about loving others. And if you do this, you will get to God. Jesus knew this, so he quotes all the laws about loving people. But he leaves out the first four commandments, which are all about loving God with all your heart, mind and soul and strength. Unless we can do that, we will never have assurance of entering his kingdom. I want you to picture that you have the perfect daughter. She always does the washing up. She helps her brother with her homework. If she borrows the car, she always brings it back full of petrol. You couldn't ask for a better daughter than this one. And yet, she never talks to you. She never says, good morning. How are you? Never says, thank you. Never talks at all to you. Is she a good daughter? See, our definition of right and wrong often is about how we treat other people, but we completely ignore the God of the universe who gave life to us, who gives us everything good. We think, oh, if I just treat other people well, then I'm a good person. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and strength. That is the first and most important commandment. See, if we try to measure up ourselves just by doing good to other people, even if we are good, we will never have assurance of entering his kingdom. And the man's response conveys this. You see, he says to these commandments, Well, all these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? He's still not sure. He knows there's something missing. Now, we don't know if he's being totally honest here, but he believed he had kept the commandments all his life. But he still does not have certainty that he's done enough. What Jesus has helped this man realize is how all human religion is worthless to give you certainty in the afterlife. I'm reading a book called Brahman Reborn. It's about a man who was born into a Hindu priestly or Brahmin family. From a young age, he was taught to recite the scriptures and perform offerings and rituals every day. His family even went on a long and expensive pilgrimage to worship their God. His great uncle was the most religious person he knew. But when he was nearing the end of his life, he told him he was not sure what would happen to him when he died. In fact, he saw a vision of demons telling him that he would surely suffer in hell. And he went to his death weeping, completely unsure of what will happen to him. And the writer wrote, For all his devotion, knowledge, worship and ceremonial washings, this fervent Hindu Brahmin was nevertheless afraid of dying. And this is what all human religion leads to. Whenever you ask the question, what must I do? You will never be sure if you've done enough. And secondly, it's impossible for people to do enough good. It's impossible to do enough good. So Jesus shows how impossible it is by his response. But Jesus says you have to be perfect. Matthew 19, 21-22 Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, 
Go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Why did he go away sad? Because he was unable to let go of his wealth to follow Jesus. Outwardly, he was following the Jewish religion, but his functional God was money. That's why Jesus doesn't quote the first four commands. They're all about worshipping the one true God alone, not bowing down and serving any idols. Money was this man's idol, and he loved it more than God. Jesus also doesn't quote the Tenth Commandment, which is all about not coveting or, or being greedy for someone else's possessions. Jesus can see with pinpoint accuracy what's in his heart. And he says, this is what is stopping you. Simply leave your wealth behind and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But he can't do it. Jesus says elsewhere, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This man treasured his money more than he treasured having life with God forever. He was unable to let it go to have true life. Friends, Jesus can see inside my heart and inside your heart in the same way. Is, is money an idol for us? Do we think that our wealth can protect us and provide for us? If we have enough of it, we'll be safe. But one day, all the money and possessions and treasures of this world will burn up and pass away. And Jesus says, if you can't give up your money to follow me, then you'll miss out on eternal riches. It's not just about money. Jesus calls us to give up everything, even our very lives, to follow him. Long ago in Southeast Asia, they developed a clever way to catch monkeys. They'll get a wide jar with a narrow mouth and bury it in the ground with the opening just sticking out. And they'd put some treats like fruit or nuts in it. And the monkey would put his hand in and grab the treat. But when it went to pull its hand out, his closed fist would get stuck. He would scream and pull, but it wanted the treat so badly it wouldn't let go. All it had to do was to let the treat go and it will be free. But it could not. It would not. Friends, what on earth is more important to you than eternity with God? Are you serving and loving and treasuring the things of this world so much that you can't let it go? It may not be riches, maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's your choice or where you work or whatever it is, control of your life. We need to give it up so that we can have eternal life. But Jesus shows his disciples that it is impossible for us to do this on our own. And he uses the rich man to demonstrate it. Matthew nineteen twenty three to 24 Then Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples are silent. 
So he goes on in verse 24, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. This illustration is so graphic, it's almost funny. The biggest animal in the ancient Near East was a camel, and the smallest hole you could possibly find was a needle. Can you imagine someone trying to push a camel through this tiny little needle hole? I've got a hair in, I've got a hair in. It's ridiculous. And that's the point. It's absolutely impossible. And it's not just picking on rich people. He's not saying, oh, rich people can't get in, but if you're poor, you've got a good chance. See, back then, people thought being rich was a sign of being godly. Riches were a blessing from God. So if you were rich, you must be doing something right. You must be pleasing God. So if a rich man who clearly kept the commands couldn't get in, well, no one could. And the disciples got this point. They were astonished and said, Who then can be saved? And that's when Jesus gives us the secret. Matthew 19.26 Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. We cannot come to God as a rich man, proud of our own achievements. When we come face to face with the awesome, holy, perfect God, we will have nothing to bargain with, nothing to offer him. We have to come to God on our knees as a poor beggar, humbly asking him to do the impossible, asking him to make us weak, poor sinners able to inherit eternal life. And that's what leads us to our final point. Eternal life is an inheritance gift. Eternal life is an inheritance gift. See, the rich man was used to getting anything he wanted. If he wanted nice clothes, he bought them. If he needed knowledge, he would hire teachers. If it was religion, he knew how to keep the commands. In every situation, he was the one in the position of power. And he treated eternal life as just one more thing he could achieve. But he completely misunderstood God. God is not concerned about religion and rules and rituals. He's concerned about a relationship. He's not a harsh master who wants servants to obey him out of fear. He's a father who wants to adopt and bless his children. Which is why the rich man's question is the wrong question to ask. Children do not do anything to get an inheritance. They receive an inheritance as a loving gift from their father. And the disciples get this wrong too. Uh, Peter says to Jesus, well, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? He's also treating Jesus like a vending machine. We put in something, what do we get out of it? But Jesus gently and lovingly corrects him. God doesn't need anything you give him. He owns everything. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Yet he is rich in generosity. He will give them far more than they have given up for him. 
Matthew nineteen twenty-eight to 30. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when a Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Jesus tells us that he is the king of glory. And when he sits on his glorious throne, the apostles will share in his glory. This is incredible and undeserved honor. And if anyone who follows Jesus has left earthly possessions, God will more than make up for it a hundred times in this life. Now, This is not literally saying that if you give up a hundred dollars, then God will give you back ten thousand dollars as some prosperity preachers teach. No, if that were the case, how can you literally have a hundred mothers? What he is saying is that when you join the community of God's people, you'll be given so much more than you've given up. You'll have many more fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers in the family of God. If you've had to leave houses, there'll be many more opened up to you. And when you have left this life, you will inherit eternal life. That is the key. Eternal life is not a wage It's not something you earn with your good works and religious devotion. It's an inheritance that your loving Father gives to you, even though you don't deserve it. But how do we get this inheritance? Well, there was only one perfect Son of God, only one who loved God with all his heart, soul, mind and strength, and that's Jesus. And yet he died for all of our failures, our pride, our idolatry and shame. And he rose again so that we can follow him. He rose again to give us new life that it was impossible to live on our own. That's why he says to give up everything to follow him. Because it's only by him living in us that we can do any good. It's by giving up trying to be good and trusting in his goodness that we will have the certainty of eternal life. Will we surrender our lives to him so that he can lead us and transform us to love like he does? Will you give up everything to follow him and trust that he will provide a hundred times what you give up? And in the age to come, make you inherit eternal life as beloved sons and daughters of God? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we cannot come to you in our own riches, in our own works and deserving of your um, praise and salvation. Lord, nothing in our hands we bring, but simply to the cross of Christ we cling. Help us to realize how spiritually poor and wretched we are, so we put our trust only in Jesus. Lord, reveal to us the idols in our hearts, Make them clear to us, Lord, so that we can get rid of them and follow Jesus with our whole lives, using everything we have, all our possessions and talents and time, to bring honour and glory to you, Lord, as Jesus works in us and 
reveals his new life in us and changes us to love like he does. And we pray this for Jesus' precious sake. Amen. Welcome to Maryland's Anglican Media, where you can listen to sermons, devotionals, and other media from Maryland's Anglican Church. We hope you enjoy.